Hey, good morning, church. We're coming to you this Easter Sunday from Oceanside at beautiful Vero Beach. If you can't come to the ocean, we'll bring the ocean to you. Hey, don't worry. We have special permission to be out here. Now, I know that there is a governor's order to stay at home, and you know that too, unless you've been living under a rock, which you haven't. And some people like that, some people don't, some people comply, some people don't. The reason for that varies. There's usually three conditions. Number one, whether people understand the reason behind it. Number two, whether they agree with that reason. And number three, how they view the consequences, either of compliance or non-compliance. And I'm not here to talk today about compliance with the civil authorities, as important as that is. I'm here to talk about obedience to everything that Jesus commanded. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we have what's called the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Are we obeying everything? Do Christians obey everything that Jesus commanded? Well, some do, some don't, and sometimes it depends on those same three conditions. Do we understand the reason why behind Jesus' commands? And do we agree with those reasons? And how do we view the consequences either of compliance or non-compliance? Now today, since it's Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, I wanna talk about the resurrection and what that contributes to our motivation for obeying all things that Jesus commanded. There are a lot of things we could say, but I have three basic points this morning. First of all, the resurrection helps us to have the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith. So about 14 verses before we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we have the account of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon. He spent Friday night in the grave, Saturday, Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, Matthew records there were a couple of women who were coming out to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices. But when they got there, they found that the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away and there was an angel there to greet them. And here's what he said, and this is Matthew chapter 28, verse six. The angel said, he isn't here, he has risen from the dead. Jesus' resurrection. Now I imagine 99.9% .9 of everybody watching me right now is a believer. You're a Christian, you have faith. Maybe one or two who, who don't, but there may be some whose faith is a little bit shaky, which sometimes happens when the world gets turned upside down as it has of late. So I wanna to speak to you about the assurance of faith today and the obedience of faith. Let's do a reaffirmation because the Bible presents the resurrection of Jesus as evidence or proof that Jesus is Lord. Evidence of things not seen, so to speak. The case for the resurrection of Jesus is basically one of cause and effect. There are six effects, or maybe we should say six historical facts for which the most reasonable and rational explanation is the resurrection of Jesus. One way to remember these six facts is to use the acronym EASTER. Not appropriate, E-A-S-T-E-R. 
And every letter in that acronym stands for one of these six really undisputed historical facts. Let me run through those. Let's see if I can remember them using the acronym. First of all, the E of Easter stands for empty. The empty tomb. Jesus' tomb was empty that day. What could explain that? Well, the resurrection explains that pretty well. The A of Easter stands for appearances. What we call the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples, individuals, and groups as large as 500 at one time. The S in the acronym of Easter stands for Saul. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus from the great persecutor of the church to becoming the great proclaimer of the church. I mean, what could explain this dramatic turnaround, this conversion of Saul? And then the T of Easter stands for transition. Now, in the first 10 years of the history of the church, all of the converts were Jews. They came from a Jewish background. They had been worshiping God on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, as a people for centuries. All of a sudden, they transitioned for their special day of worship to the first day of the week, Sunday. Just happened to be the day of Jesus' resurrection, the first day of the week, transition. The second E in the acronym for Easter stands for establishment. The establishment and rapid growth of the church of the first century. Where did that church come from? And then the R in the acronym Easter stands for resolve. The resolve of the apostles who claim to have eyewitness testimony of seeing the resurrected Jesus, who refused to recant their testimony under threat of death and then actual death. We all know that some people will die for what they believe to be the truth. Nobody will die for what they know to be a lie. So there are six historical facts that really affects what cause is sufficient to explain all of those effects. The resurrection of Jesus is the most reasonable, rational explanation. And God, in fact, in fact presents that to us as the evidence and the proof of Jesus' Lordship. This past year, NBA basketball star Kobe Bryant passed away. Now, Kobe was known, among other things, as a trash talker of his opponents. He liked to trash talk. Uh, for instance, after the Lakers had won the NBA championship in 2010, Kobe was a little bit irritated that LeBron James was stealing the spotlight because he had announced his free agency. It's a big question of what team he was going to go to. In fact, they made it this big publicity stunt. They had a special on television to announce his decision. And remember what they called it, the decision. It's kind of irritated Kobe. And so on the night of the big decision, Kobe texted LeBron James. And he said, go ahead and have your moment in the spotlight. Decide which city you're going to live in because we are going to win the championship next year so it doesn't make any difference. He's trash talking LeBron James. Unfortunately, neither Kobe nor LeBron did win the championship the following year. And that, that's the problem with mere mortals who trash talk. We don't really know or control the future. But did you know that Jesus did his own form of trash talking? 
Uh, throughout his earthly ministry, we find statements like this in the Gospels, Matthew 17, 22. Jesus said, speaking of himself, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed on the third day, but he will be raised from the dead. Now that statement there, that last part, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead, that's Jesus trash-talking death. You think about it, up until the time of Jesus, death had a perfect record. One out of every one people who were ever born has died. But Jesus said, in effect, death, oh, you're going to have your moment. I'll be in the grave for three days, but then I'm coming back. And Jesus backed it up, predicted his resurrection, and then he rose on the third day, and death had to put a one in the loss column for the first time. And it was the beginning of the end for death. And the first gospel sermon ever preached, it was preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, he presented the resurrection as proof of the Lordship of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, we read about the conclusion of that sermon. Peter says, you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. Therefore, verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And as you know, that word Lord means master, king, ruler, authority. And so we obey everything Jesus commanded because he is our Lord. That's our, our confidence, our trust, confidence and trust are synonyms for faith. So I call this the obedience of faith. So we continue to think about uh, the resurrection of Jesus, what it contributes to our motivation to obey everything. Let's think about the obedience of hope. The obedience of hope. Now here's how Paul speaks of the resurrection and what it means for our hope. Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I was talking with a woman who was terminally ill about her upcoming death. And uh, she said, you know, Steve, I've lived a good life. I've been very successful in life. I've traveled the world. I've accomplished all of my goals. I have no regrets. And I was happy for you, Kirk. I couldn't really relate to her very well, but I was happy for her. More often I have conversations with people, especially toward the sunset of their lives, and they do have regrets. Many times we're disappointed with how our life has turned out and the realization we're not going out on a high note. You know, sometimes this is just a result of aging. Our bodies begin to betray us and, and we think that we have no future. Or maybe it's the recklessness or carelessness or sinful actions of others that have impacted us and brought suffering into our lives. We might even wonder at times whether God has been with us. This is somewhat short-sighted. It's, it's a lack of the realization that the primary part of our lives is still ahead of us. Primary in the sense of the duration, the length of it, and in the sense of the quality of that life. When the women got to the tomb and the angel said, he is not here, he is risen, we realized for, from later events that Jesus rose with a body. 
he rose with a body. And that body, it wasn't exactly the same as the body it had before. It wasn't totally glorified yet. And yet it was a body and it was able to interact with its environment and other people. Jesus still had his memories. He had his character. He had his identity. It was all focused within that body. And in the future, because we've been buried with Christ, we also are going to have a resurrection and a resurrection body. That'll be the focus, the loci of our identity, our character, our memories, and our understanding. And it will be a glorified body. It's going to be a body like Jesus, still able to interact with our environment and with other people, but not bound by the restrictions our current body of flesh has. It's a glorified, powerful, indestructible and spiritual body. Uh, some of the verses that speak to that, Colossians 3, 4, when Christ shall appear, then you too will be revealed with him as glorious. 1 John 3, 1, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be as he is. Philippians 3, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glory body. We're gonna have a glory body. And so back to the idea of obedience then, one of the reasons that we obey is because we understand everything that's happening to us now, good, bad, and ugly, is shaping us and our character for that future life in a new body in heaven, which is the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to be on the new earth in our new bodies. We're being acclimated, so to speak. Let's say that you were instructed to get on a plane and fly a couple of thousand miles. And when you got to your destination, you set out on a 10-day hike to a very remote camp. And at this camp, you came under the coaching, the instruction of your leader, who instructed you to take almost daily hikes for the next eight weeks, 60 to 70 days. You're hiking eight hours a day. And the result of these hikes is that you have headaches, nausea, and exhaustion. You might think, who would do that to me? Well, imagine you volunteered for it. Not only did you volunteer for it, you may have paid upwards of $100,000 for the privilege. Why would anyone do that? People do that all the time because they want to climb Mount Everest. That's what it takes to climb Mount Everest. Mount Everest is the highest mountain in the world, 29,029 feet. It's so high that climbers have to go eight to nine weeks to the mountain ahead of time to a base camp around 17,000 feet to the, begin the process of acclimating their body for that high altitude, the thin air, and the brutal weather conditions. So every day they hike up the mountain and back down, not to the summit, but just part way up to the second base camp, a little further than back down. They hike up and then back down for 60 to 70 days just to acclimate their bodies to those conditions. Back in May of 1996, Beck Weathers was a Texan who went to climb Mount Everest. And on the day of his summit, he got pretty high. He got, about, got up to 26 to 27,000 feet before he succumbed to the effects of the altitude. And he was, the altitude made him blind. He was temporarily, temporarily blinded. And he went into a freezing coma. And his hiking companions examined him and concluded there was no way he could survive. So they just left him there. 
and continued up the mountain, up into what's called the death zone. You know why they call it the death zone? Of course you do. That's where a lot of people die. 300 people have died climbing Mount Everest, and most of them are still up there. There's 200 of them up there on the mountain, just frozen meat. Can't get them down. But nevertheless, there Beckweathers lay, exposed to the elements for 15 hours. And then somehow, amazingly, he revived and made his way down the mountain, still blinded, still blind, made his way down the mountain to the base camp. He had to undergo several surgeries. He suffered from frostbite. His left arm was amputated below the elbow. All the, he lost all the fingers of his right hand and, and they were formed into a mitten type of a, a structure. Uh, he lost his nose. They were able to take skin and cartilage from other parts of his head and neck and and fashion a new nose. The nose grew on his forehead. He had a nose right here on his forehead. It grew until they could remove it and put it in the middle of his face. But he lived and he became a motivational speaker. Now here's what he says some 20 years later. He's often asked, if you had it to do over again, would you do it over again? And he says, yes, I would. If I knew everything that was going to happen, I would absolutely do it again. He said, Hey, I, I lost some parts, but what I gained in return was worth it. Now, all I have to say is the view from Mount Everest must be amazing for all these people to sacrifice what they sacrifice and go through that to reach the summit. But the Bible says, as great as the view and the experience climbing Mount Everest may be, the view from Mount Zion is even greater. In the Bible, Mount Zion is a metaphor for heaven. Some of you lifers in church remember singing the song, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. I'm sure you did. Mount Zion is heaven. The Bible says when we get there, it's going to be amazing. In fact, the Bible says it's going to be worth it. We may have to give up some parts. We may have to sacrifice some things. We may have to deny ourselves, as Jesus said, take up our cross and follow Jesus. But we do that because we have hope of a new life in heaven in our new bodies. We understand everything happening to us now is character school. God says, I'm God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If we relate to our experiences here in this world with the right attitude and obedience to Christ, he's shaping our character and that's the character we're taking with us in our new bodies onto the new earth. Don't think that our character is automatically going to be transformed somehow when we get to heaven. We're taking this character that we develop right now into heaven with us. Everything that happens here is acclimating us. This life is acclimation for our life in heaven. And so we obey. I call that the obedience of hope, hope of resurrection and eternal life in heaven. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the why behind, the motivation behind our obedience to everything Jesus commanded and how the resurrection impacts that. The obedience of faith, the obedience of hope, and then there, there's one more, the obedience of love, the obedience of love. Now, I think usually we Christians associate love with the death of Jesus. 
we think that Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself and die for us, that woos us in a sense. Now, he would love us that much that we love him. But here in the passage I'm going to read, Jesus is speaking about love specifically as it relates to not his death, but his resurrection. John chapter 14, verse 20. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now we, we get the thing about death and love. What is it about the resurrection of Jesus that would inspire our love? Well, there are, there are two things that God does for us in our baptism. That we believe, we repent, we confess Jesus as Lord, and then we're baptized into Christ. There are two things that happen in a baptism that God does. He is applying the benefits of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, to us in two different ways. First of all, as we are buried with Christ in baptism, God is applying the blessing or the benefit of Jesus' death to us. Buried with him, Jesus' death is paying the full penalty for our sins. Now, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but for you and me as an individual, the application to us is made when we're baptized and when we're buried with Christ. So all of our sin is paid for, the penalty for that sin, so we can be forgiven. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a great blessing. And then, secondly, talking about two benefits here. When we're raised with Christ up out of the waters of baptism, God applies the blessing or the benefit of Jesus' resurrection. And the blessing of resurrection is that we receive a new heart, so to speak. God, the Bible speaks of that as replacing our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. The Bible speaks of this as being resurrected to a new life or being regenerated. Our hearts are regenerated. That means brought to life again. This is actually the time when we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this internal work inside of us and gives us an inner resource or power enabling us to obey the commands of Jesus. Here's some verses that portray that. I'm just going to do four. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Titus 3, 5. God saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now the washing here refers to baptism and the Holy Spirit is regenerating our hearts and renewing us. Romans 6, 4. We have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in a newness of life. So that's the new life as a result of resurrection. Colossians 2, finally. In baptism, you were raised with him through your faith and the working of God. God made you alive with Christ. Let me tell you about a lady named Kelly Perkins. Speaking of mountain climbing, for the last 20 years, Kelly Perkins has been climbing mountains. She's climbed Mount Fuji. She's climbed the Matterhorn. She's climbed in the Swiss Alps. She's climbed several peaks in the Grand Tetons. She's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in South Africa. And she's written about this 
in her book. The title of her book is The Climb of a Lifetime, Scaling Mountains with a Borrowed Heart. Kelly was an active lady and when she was 30 years old, she contracted a virus that damaged her heart. And over the next four years, her health continued to deteriorate to the place where she was, she was put on the heart transplant list. And so finally, a donor, a 40-year-old woman, had died in a tragic horseback riding accident. And she had made the choice to be an organ donor. Her heart was transplanted to Kelly Perkins. And Kelly Perkins, after receiving that heart, wanted to show you know, she didn't have to live a sickly life, that, that people can have a robust and abundant life. And so she began climbing these mountains and, and speaking to other people about the challenges in their lives. But in her book, she expresses her great gratitude to and love for her donor, the woman who had given her a new heart and a new life, and obviously rightfully so. Well, likewise, we're speaking about the obedience of love that comes from the resurrection. If it had not been for the resurrection of Jesus, we wouldn't have a chance. We wouldn't be a, even be able to obey everything that Jesus commanded. It's only because we have the Holy Spirit, the new life and resurrection life that we can and we do. And, and speaking of baptism, this is so important. Sometimes, most of you have been baptized, and, and praise God, but sometimes people put this off. And sometimes the reasoning goes something like this. When I get my life straightened out, then I'll, I'll get right with God and I'll get baptized. Now maybe, uh, after I've been sober for six months, then I'll get baptized. After I've got my marriage straight now, then I'll get baptized. After I've kicked this pornography habit, now then, then I'll get baptized. After things slow down, after the social distancing is all over, then I will get baptized. That's a big mistake. That's like Kelly Perkins saying, I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro and then I'll get my heart transplanted. It doesn't work that way. You got to get the heart first and then you climb the mountain. And we have to have the Holy Spirit first and our heart renewed and regenerated. Then come the changes. We can't make these changes that we need in our lives on sheer willpower. We have to have God's help and God's power in our lives. I'm just going to say, if you haven't done that yet, reach out to me. Call me. Email me. Text me. Tweet me. Whatever the, the social channels are reach out and I will risk my life. I'll put a mask on. We'll even do a virtual baptism if we have to. I've already thought through how to do that. But we want to take care of this. We want to take care of this now, not later. Resurrection obedience. We obey Jesus with the obedience of faith, hope, and love. And perhaps, yes, the greatest of these motivations is love. Happy Easter, Church.